0: There we go. Now you can hear me. Sorry, didn't hear any of that. It's for the recording. So, I would like to ask you to stand with me for the reading of the word this morning. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels. My dear brothers and sisters, some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were you, any of you baptized into the name of Paul? Of course not. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. For now no one can say they were baptized in my name. Oh, oh yes. I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anyone else. For Christ did not, didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, not with clever speech, for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. That passage just cracks me up where he has that little caveat where he's like, oh yeah, and I remember I baptized these guys too. But I don't remember anyone else. (laughs) That's awesome. So, a few years ago, the Union Gospel Mission, if you haven't heard of it. Union Gospel Mission has been around Seattle since 1932. They, uh, Batman, they uh, serve the homeless. I mean, there's a ton of things that they do, but they've been a mission in the, in the sense of having housing and drug rehab and recovery for people for many years. So a few years ago, they asked themselves the question, why are we getting repeat customers in our recovery programs and our rehab programs? What's going on here? Like, what's happening? And they began, they did a study, and, it, and in doing this study, they sort of categorized sort of 10 different categories of problems that people have that are related to homelessness and addiction and in summary all of these problems that people faced that caused this sort of relapse or reoccurrence of these problems in their lives were related to relationships in their lives related to healthy and sustaining and even uh emergency relationships in their lives and so the union gospel mission said okay where can we find relationships for people? Where would we find like a network of relationships that we could plug people into where they could, they could maybe rebuild some of these relationships so they wouldn't be at such great risk of becoming homelessness or becoming homeless or re- repeating it in, in addiction. And I know firsthand, having talked with a lot of the homeless guys that we have worked with, when they go through a recovery program or go through a rehab program and go right back on the street, their friends want to find out if it worked, so they say, "Let's go see if the rehab worked. Come, come get drunk with us, or come get high." They're like this is what this is what happens to guys, and uh, that the programs are never intended to <laughs> to be treated like that. But the issue is they don't have healthy relationships. They didn't go back to a place where people said, "I'm so glad for you that you went through rehab." It was the same crew that said, "Hey, come and come back and join us." And uh, so as the Union Gospel began to reflect on this, where can we find relationships for people? Where, where, would, where would we find like a group of people that could maybe like help someone in this kind of a situation? And being a parachurch organization that they are, maybe they even thought about that the title and said parachurch. Maybe, maybe the church, you know what we need? We need the church. That's what we need. And so we've become part of a network called Light Up the City that Union, the Union Gospel is trying to spearhead, and it's get, it's moving. But uh, the idea is, Union Gospel, Union Gospel Mission says, we're part of the solution, but we're just part. We're not the whole solution. Rehab and recovery are not going to transform somebody's life without healthy relationships, without moving forward. And so, in a sense, they're saying, we're not the right tool for the job for somebody long term we need the environment that the church provides and so they've been they've begun a- intensively reaching out to local churches and trying to figure out first of all what are churches already doing and how can they partner with it and how can they be strengthened by how can they create connections for people who come out of these programs and have a replacement family so to speak because when when we when you have these these relationships in our society It prevents you from sort of slipping through the cracks. Um, And people that are living in a situation where they they don't have a lot of these relationships in their life are at great risk of losing everything or becoming homeless. They're just sort of one bad decision away from being on the street. Whereas when you have healthy relationships, like you can make three or four bad decisions. You know, your family, you know, after a while your family's going to say, come on. But you have this sort of a, a little bit of a cushion or a, a social safety net to catch you and, and many people don't have that. And so as, as they came to this conclusion, they began to reach out to the church. And that's my, my contention this morning from this passage is a unified church is the right and proper tool for the job of preaching the cross. This trying to proliferate the powerful message of the gospel. And in that, we resist. We want to resist divisions, or tears, or schisms, in the fabric of our local churches. So this is what Paul is addressing in this passage. Ephesians chapter four, uh, one through six says this. Therefore, I a prisoner for the Lord, prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling for, which, for what you have been called. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to the glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. And I take I take this as my outline for looking at Corinthians this morning. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And when we talked in the cadre, Uh, Bob helped clarify and maybe say this better. So my three points are one Lord, we have the same boss. One faith, we have the same message. And one baptism, we have the same family. So Paul is using these reminders to call the church to stop being divided. So I wanted to start out by talking about a four-letter word in our society, Uh, first of all. I used to listen to this punk song. Uh, you know, in the past and uh, it was called Question Authority I don't know if maybe you guys have heard it uh, I could sing it for you pretty well actually uh, Question Authority and I thought yeah what right do you have to tell me what to do and I sang along with the song for years the song says uh, is this what you want to see is this the way you want things to be Question Authority Question Authority Question Authority and then it just repeats that a lot you know and uh awesome and so I'm just like singing along with this and then you know when I was 17 18 and I really I seriously honestly thought that I had everything figured out I really thought that I knew like what the world was all about and I stand here at 44 thinking what a numbskull that kid was and as I began to learn a little bit more I realized I didn't even know how much I didn't know And then I begin to question the authority of my punk rock philosopher. And silence was the answer. And and most of us deal with some kind of authority in our lives, a parent, a boss, uh, somebody, is is, has an authority over us in our lives. But our culture is sort of twisted, has a twisted understanding of authority, and that's the reason I say it's a four-letter word. We don't like it. We don't like the word authority. We don't like the word submission. our culture wants us to believe that ultimately we are the authority in our lives. It's the follow your heart philosophy of the sovereignty of the individual. And this leads to great frustration when there's a cooperative system of individuals that requires authority to function. So we say authority corrupts and absolute authority corrupts absolutely. And I I think the Bible says A tree is always known by its fruit. A good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. I really think authority gives us the power to express the bad fruit that we brought into that position of authority with. But this very much, this saying very much promotes the mythology of the benevolent individual who is corrupted by outside influences. It's the nature versus nurture debate that we, that in our society, nurture won many years ago in our popular mind. So when we think about authority... What we have is really voluntary associations rather than submission because we worship the individual and we think that stifling the expression of the individual is evil. This is why we will be seeing, you know, who knows how many bathrooms on into the future. Just because authority has been corrupted doesn't mean it's entirely an evil force. I love the fact that the commander-in-chief of the United States at one time sent the army under his authority to de-segregate, desegregate, can I say it? Desegregate schools in our society because the authorities in certain places were saying we're not going to obey the law, we're not going to do what's right, and they sent in the army and said you are going to do what's right. So authority can be a good thing; it's not in and of itself evil, but there's a there's a corollary to authority, which is submission. And it go, they go hand in hand. I remember talking with a friend of mine and just kind of talking about life and, and what he thought. And I was I was trying to share with him sort of some of my new revelations about Christ at the time. And, and I was just excited to share it with him. And um, having grown up together, we had a lot of the same experiences. And we were talking about uh, you know, why we believe what we believe. And he was saying, you know, you believe in this 3,000-year-old book and it's just whatever, you know, it's just tradition and this and that. And I'm like, yeah that's that's good yeah kind of and uh but then I I said well what's your authority then like why do you believe what you believe like where do you draw on your on the knowledge that you want to change my life with like who is it that is informing you and as we talked about it it just basically came down to the fact that he's like well it's me I I decide I decide what I'm gonna think and, and feel and believe and I don't listen to other people uh, necessarily. I just I just choose, you know, based on what I want to do at the time and where, where I'm at. And I, you know, I and then, you know, it was a good conversation. It wasn't like uh, we were friends. And and I said, well, I'm just gonna. I just don't accept you <laughs> as an authority for my life. Like, I don't want to call you up and say, hey, what about now? You know, like, I don't I don't really feel like your opinion has more weight than tradition. Uh, G.K. Chesterton called tradition the democracy of the deceased. <laughs> like, we look at tradition as an evil thing, but all it is is people that have died voted on this, and they said, we like this. And it's been passed on, and sometimes it becomes a bad thing. And yet, as I talk with people, and I've had friends in so many from so many different places that have sort of come to me and said, I, you know, I also follow Christ. It's, it's real, I, and I thought about it, and I thought, you know, I have friends from Russia, Sweden, Uganda, Nigeria, Ecuador, Kenya, India, Guatemala, Australia, Nepal, Pakistan that all say the same thing. But I don't think that I'm just functioning under a cultural construct of Western Christianity. I really think this is true. <laughs> and, and I have reasons for it. And we kept we kept talking about it. But I, I share this because it highlights this, this idea and I, I certainly shared that with him as I sang along with question authority. I was the authority, right? I didn't question myself though. That's the, that's the point. Like, are you questioning yourself, your own sovereignty in all of this? Do you have the, the bandwidth in your mind to, to know all things and, and have studied all things or do you need to, to learn from other people? In any cooperative of humans, there will come authority and hierarchy. It's sort of the nature of things. I looked for this video online, and I couldn't find it, because it just, it's, it, it, it rings out in my mind whenever I think about this, and it it was from the uh, WTO protests in Seattle, which were a long time ago now. I don't remember, 10, 15 years ago. WTO is World Trade Organization. And in Seattle, uh, there are the protesters, and they're like, you know, let's protest the WTO, and they're all dressed in black with black masks, and, you know, doing all the stuff, and, you know, I was kind of like, that might be fun, <laughs> you know, like, especially like breaking Starbucks windows, like, all their coffee, shh, um, but uh, I wouldn't really be protesting anything, you know, just being destructive, but uh, they were, the news when interviewed one of the anarchist leaders, you know, the anarchists is what they, they, they called themselves, and they were, they were squatting in this empty building in Seattle. And so they went to interview the guy, and they're like, you know, what do you think? And he's got his black bandana and, you know, all this stuff, and it looks really cool. And uh, he's, he's kind of listing out why they're there and what they're doing. And the cameraman, bless his heart, was like filming the interview. And the news guy's like, okay, great, and, like anarchy and this and that. And the guy's like, yeah. And, and as they get done talking, the cameraman pans up to this list of rules on the wall that was posted in the anarchist haunt. And I'm just like, wow, that is so awesome. Like, even the anarchists have to have a sort of list of rules to get along with each other in their little squalor. Like, that was so funny, you know, and, and thankfully, like, the editors left it on there. Uh, the poor guy, like, I don't know, he probably got beat up by all his friends or something, but why didn't you take that down, you know? That's against the rules. But uh, we can't escape it. That's That's my point. It's like, whenever you're trying to cooperate on something, you just— how do you escape this this idea of authority and submission? It's because people have different abilities and giftings and they can work together and authority, like if, if I'm arrested, if I'm if I'm interacting with a police officer or a politician or someone who's in authority, I don't think they're better than me because they're in authority. Sometimes they do. <laughs> so maybe we could talk about that. But authority doesn't make somebody like uh better. Or more noble than another person. And, and there have been many ways that authority has been twisted in that way in, our, in history. Even in our own history, authority has, has been granted to people through nobility. Or through class. Or through how much money they have. Or through the color of their skin. People have been given authority. And that's, that's a terrible thing. That's an evil thing that has happened with authority. But that doesn't make the idea of authority wrong. So what does make authority? Power, knowledge, leadership. It has the word author in it, which sort of speaks about meaning or, or guidance. And the question for you today is, who is the authority in your life? Who do you listen to? Who has the power, and who do you look for? Who do you look for to for knowledge? Who would you consider a leader? The church is no different when it comes to being an organization, but more so an organism, where all the parts are working together for a shared purpose. The church certainly has a checkered past with civil authority and abuses of authority. But these practices are usually counter to the teachings of the main authority and builder of the church, Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. As you you read scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, instead we will speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ Who is the head of his body, the church He makes the whole body fit perfectly together As each part does its own special work It helps the other parts grow So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love Now we say at Harambe that Jesus is our senior pastor And it's not tongue in cheek when we say it I sincerely believe that the living Christ can help lead our church And we can submit to him we are convinced that he is alive and still at work through the, through his body, joining us together, appointing some to teach, some to sing, some to give, some to administrate, so that we can become more mature, healthy, and full of love. This happens when we remember that we have one Lord, the same boss, Jesus, the servant leader who came not to lord his authority over men, but to give his life as a ransom for many. The assumption being challenged here by Paul In Corinth is that being a Christian goes hand in hand with being a good Corinthian. In some ways, yes. But in the area of self-promotion and rhetoric, no. Being a good Christian doesn't mean you're a good Corinthian. So the question for you is, does submission to Jesus look like being a good American or a good citizen? The unity Paul describes here is the opposite of schisms. The word, if you, if you pull out the word divisions or tears, if you just said the Greek word, if you sounded it out in Greek, schism, schismata, that's the word he uses. So we, it's a cognate, sounds the same. And we understand schisms, right? Like cracks or tears or something that, that breaks apart. It's a cool word. He says, let there be no schisms, let there be no divisions. But he also comments on our on our world like on our world. Ask yourself, how does a schism start in the church? And he, he, he outlines here people saying different things, talking about one another in a negative light, perhaps. This is how Corinth worked. They all followed patrons. They wanted to follow someone who was important because that made them important. So they wanted to latch themselves onto somebody, and we see this here: Paul, Apollos, Peter, only Christ. And this this is a picture for us, and a, and a warning that he when he says, "I want you to be of the same mind," I want you to be united in the same mind. We translate that from the 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 specific way he says it is: "I want you to to speak the same things, to say the same things." And it's interesting because. I think it helps us understand. Like, okay, we don't want to divide with one another. We don't want to. We don't want to have schisms. Like, but how do we? How do we not do that? You don't talk trash on people behind their back. That's how you do it. Like, these schisms are, are created by people talking and and gossiping and slandering and saying, well, do you know what so and so said?" Or, "Do you know, I don't really like how so and so preaches." Or, "I don't really like when so and so does this." And, what, "What do you think?" And, like, starting. This is how these these tears begin. And he says, don't let those things happen. Don't let these schisms start. So it's a a good picture to help us understand how how these things work. And if you've ever been part of any organization where there were problems, you can trace it back to most likely people saying stuff. Like, oh, so-and-so this and -and so-and-so that. It just, like, begins to create tears in the fabric of that organization. The church is a fabric that God is weaving together. And it's not groupthink or rote words. It's unity in mind and spirit which expresses one faith. And that one faith is the same message. So, if you guys are, you know, part of the Christian culture, there's a funny blog, like, You Might Be Reformed If you know who John and John and Jonathan and another John are, right? And it's like total insider Christian joke. But it's referring to like these guys with big names. There's a guy named John Piper. And, uh, Does anyone, like, know what John Piper's church is called? You know, because it's called John Piper's church. That's what it's called. It does have a name. It's called Bethany Baptist or something. But when people say, like, hey, have you heard of this church? Like, they say, this is John Piper's church. And John Piper would be the first, believe me, to be on the stage on his knees, weeping before the church if he believed that it had become a cult of personality about him like he's he is a good teacher but this paradigm in our culture is very strong this is so-and-so's church and that's why we we keep saying as maybe pithy as it sounds this is jesus church jesus is the leader jesus is the head pastor and having multiple teachers we even set ourselves up for even more problems we set ourselves up for saying oh i like how so-and-so preaches you know like caleb's the best you know i know and uh it's easy to, to, to fall into those, to those kind of things and, and begin to, to create these tears, But we have the same message that we express. And, you know, I, I'm not trying to put, I'm not trying to say anything negative about, about Piper. What I'm trying to comment on is the people. I'm, I'm commenting on us the way that we want to perceive church. And there was a question that was uh, put forward by one of the commentators as I read through these passages, uh, Anthony Thiessen, he says, are you putting a human leader or patron in the place of Christ and looking to him for your salvation through the cross? When we don't understand the authority that God has set up, we begin to drift in our expression of a healthy church. And this is such an instructive passage. Amidst all the problems we see, some of the structure of the church. It's interesting. They must have had multiple teachers in their church because people are saying, I follow this one, and I follow the other one. And I, I love that we do that here, but it's, and, and I, I I really see it as a reminder that Jesus is the head. Um, and I hope that our preaching always points to Jesus. And I've worked with a couple different leaders in my time that I just, I loved working with them. And I wish when I, when I left working with them, when God moved us, I, I thought to myself, I don't want to leave. I love working with this person. And I was reflecting on that, especially about, one guy that I worked with in the past, and I was just thinking, man, these guys are awesome. Uh, just like so excited about the gospel and who Jesus is, and I love working with them. And as I was praying and thinking about it, I, I feel like the Spirit just kind of clued me in to the reality. Like every, every, everything you like about that guy is Jesus in him. Like the things that really come across, that really that really just like attracted me to the, this person, it was Christ. It was him showing me what Christ was like. And it was so freeing for me. I'm like, oh, okay. He's not that special. You know, it's Jesus. (laughs) Jesus is the one. Like, he is that awesome. That's what I'm really attracted to is to know Christ. And of course, God uses teachers and people and influencers in our lives. That's what he has chosen to do. He's chosen to use people that hopefully will model Christ to us. So we get to see what that looks like. Listen to the incredibly, what sounds like an incredibly arrogant statement by Paul. You should imitate me, (laughs) he begins. But he follows up with, just as I imitate Christ. And so Paul's teaching and preaching, and then he says, imitate me, but only as I imitate Christ. It sounds sounds weird, but it's just a, a natural paradigm of learning. When somebody knows how to do something, you sort of copy them. And then you figure out why they're doing what they're doing. And then you can express it according to your ability or your gifting. And the standard for leadership in the church is, are they following Christ? And secondly, what is their message? I think we find one of the most powerful statements that Paul ever wrote in the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Now, Paul's writing to the church. And this is the apostle Paul, who was the persecutor of the church, knocked off his horse, be, and begin to proclaim Christ and then we have all these epistles from the Apostle Paul who wrote the bulk of the New Testament letters that we read. This guy really cared about people coming to Christ. In the Romans he even says, I wish that all my people, talking about the Jews, would come to Christ. I would, I would wish that I myself were accursed if they could come and know Jesus. Like he cared more than anything. He said in Colossians, I wish that everyone could see me, everyone in the world could see me face to face so I could tell them about Jesus and then he says this in Galatians. I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news. But it is not good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Now listen to what he says about this. Let God's curse fall on anyone including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one that we preached to you. I say it again, what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one that you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Paul teaches us that the gospel is the standard, and I just love that he says, including us. Like if anyone preaches a different gospel and someday if I show up in a Learjet that says Paul International Ministries and I start preaching a different gospel, let, me, let them be accursed. It's a crazy thing for him to say considering how much he gave of his life so that people wouldn't be accursed. You know, and like we just, we just want to carefully couch it in King James terms, you know. He says if anyone preaches a different gospel, God damn them. That's what he says. That's how we would say it. So following the great teachers of the plan of the church is the plan of the church, to be sure. But we don't, we don't follow just a charismatic person. Like in Corinth, it was all about rhetoric and how well you could say something. It wasn't about necessarily what you were saying. And Paul's telling the Corinthians, it's about the message. It's about the content. It's not about how well you say it. And I, I intentionally didn't say it well, so that the preaching of the power of the cross wouldn't be robbed of its power. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't think to yourself, oh, I just got fooled by Paul. So James continues in talking about following teachers. He says this in James chapter one, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. James is just so clear. I love the way that he writes it his, in his book. And he continues in chapter three, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. Or we who teach will be judged more strictly. Paul is warning them, don't replace Jesus with mere people. Jesus will use people in our lives. And we can submit to them because we, we give them authority, because he has given them authority and a calling to teach. But it's not with words only. And you have the right to ask or to see if they're imitating Christ. That's why it's hard to like, follow a teacher on YouTube. Oh, did you hear this teacher? Such a great teacher. Is he? Is she? I, I don't know their life. I don't know if they're a faithful person. Lastly, for teachers, there's a temptation to try and gather people to yourself. Some have called it the church growth movement. I'm just kidding. But listen to Paul's conclusion about the false gospel in Galatians. In the very end, he says, obviously I'm not trying to to win the approval of people but of God if pleasing people were my goal I would not be Christ's servant being a servant of Christ won't always please people sometimes it means rubbing them the wrong way and calling out sin not being popular one of my teachers shared an anecdote from from him preaching and he preaches a sermon and a guy comes up and says to him you know pastor what you told me today really rubbed me the wrong way and he said well maybe you just need to turn around Now, we aren't meant to be pursuing popularity as teachers. That's not the goal. It's to serve Christ. And, he, and believe me, like, it's so ironic that I stand up here teaching, like, talking in front of people. Because I would actually fail assignments in school when I had to talk in front of people. They'd say, are you ready? And I'd say, no, I'm not doing it. Like, I'll just take the F. I'll take the L. I don't I don't. I don't want to get up. I'm too totally too embarrassed to get up and talk in front of people. But God just... He just said, no, you're going to be the one. Like, you're, you got to do it. And I'm like, I'll do it for you, Jesus. I want to serve you. I want to be obedient to what you're calling me to do. And so he just puts me up here. It's it's bizarre the way God works. He wants his glory to be known by the weakness of the people that he chooses to use. It's throughout his story. So you think to yourself, well, I couldn't ever do this or that. or I don't know. I'm just not strong enough. That's where God's power can really be seen in our lives now we aren't meant to pursue division we're meant to pursue unity to make every effort to maintain unity it's an attitude which flows from the foundation of having one Lord and one faith we all have the same message to hear to speak and to live as we follow Christ together and just as we have the same boss the same message we also become part of the same family so we have this idea of one baptism the same family baptism is as I, th- as I was reading this passage, it just kind of, for a minute, threw me for a loop. Like, why are you talking about I follow Paul, I follow Paulos? And then you start talking about baptism. You know, I kind of disconnected those in my mind for a second. And then, duh. Baptism is about allegiance. Baptism is about saying, here's who I follow publicly. Here's where my heart, here's what has happened inside of me, and I'm going to follow this person, and I want you guys all to know it. I'm joining you guys in it. Baptism is an awesome way to sort of proclaim the gospel through performance art. This idea of standing in the water and being buried with Christ in baptism under the water and being raised again to new life in Christ. It's like we're buried with him in his his crucifixion, in his burial, but we're raised with him to new life in Christ. That's the way Romans talks about this, this process of baptism but in this demonstration that we do in front of, of people it's an embracing of those people of that family and saying i'm joining you and it's it's an it's it's a procl- proclamation of our allegiance to Christ so he corrects them by using this sort of rhetorical argument they're they're so quickly like schisming into these different teachers and then he uses this sort of argument from you know this absurd argument were you baptized into Paul's name is is Paul your savior no you guys you you can't have the you can't follow the you're not baptized into these different people you're baptized into Christ we have one baptism and he's, he's using this admonishment to remind them who they have proclaimed their allegiance to We are baptized into a culture as we grow up in this place. We're baptized into a culture of what's in it for me. In so many ways, this is how we look for a church. How is this place going to meet my needs? Church, this is upside down. Your needs are a promise from God that God is going to meet as you seek first, not your own, but his kingdom and his righteousness. Then all these things will be added to you. If you want to be Jesus' disciple, understand the commitment that he's calling you to. He says, take up your cross and follow me. The good news is that you don't have to sell out to the American dream system, but you can be free to follow Jesus. And I, was, I would, to answer my question from earlier, I don't think that the expression of being a good follower of Jesus is the American dream. And this brings us back to the beginning in many ways of being part of a church. It does take commitment. It does take time. It will impinge on your personal time and plans and finances, but we are called to be committed not because of what we get out of it, but to fulfill the purpose for what God has called us to. We gather to worship Jesus, to express unity, to build relationships. We grow in Christ's love for others, and then we go out to fulfill the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in. The Corinthians were choosing between teachers and allowing their preferences to be the authority rather than Christ. We're indoctrinated with the idea that our preference, our comfort, and our needs should guide our life decisions. Jesus offers new life, a new way, a new spiritual power to die to the old things and receive new things. So the question is, are you committed to this church? Meaning, the people here it's these cliques and favoritism which begin schisms and tears we are called to be committed to to love the people god has given us to love and that's why the church is called a family it helps us understand the types of people we will need to love none none of us chooses our family the church is not called a voluntary association a club a clique it's called a family and that binds us together in christ and, gift, and gifts us by His Spirit to become properly knitted together. Really, to become the right tool for the job. Serving the same boss, our, our one Lord, lifting living out the same message, the gospel of our one faith, and together pushing forward in the same family committed to one baptism. You have to... You have to sort of manifest yourself somewhere. You're an individual. You can't be part of 10 different churches. You can't be part of like the church universal. The church exists. There is, there is the church in Renton. And it's an it's a aggregate of all the local churches. The local expressions of what God has called a group groups different groups of people to do and gifted different churches to do. So there are different churches in Renton. But there's still a commitment that is is put before us to be committed to a family, to be committed to a church, a household of God. Paul's writing this letter to the church in Corinth, which was a which was a combination of different house churches. That's just the nature of the way they had to do church at, at that time. So there is a commitment to a local a locality, a local church. That is a submission to Christ and His authority. Don't don't don't, don't hear me saying like there is you know it's bad to follow a teacher. Uh, I mean, I'm not ever going to be your savior. I'm going to horrendously fail you. But Jesus never would. Jesus never will. So, in conclusion, he says, I appeal to you in verse 10. Dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus, to live in harmony with each other, let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Don't allow divisions. When we start to see the rips in the fabric of our network, we should seek to mend and fix these so that we are prepared with the unity a church needs to spread the message of the cross. If we are a bunch of backbiting and gossiping hypocrites, then our message is no different from any other in the cacophony of voices shouting to be heard in our culture. So, where can we seek to build unity to mend relationships? to reinforce the network of relationships which defines this local body of Christ. The message of the gospel is not just an announcement. It is good news incarnate. It is the idea of a person returning with good news of a battle that's been won, that the battle is over, but the the point is things are gonna change. Things have changed. They're gonna be different now. It's not just hype or fake news. It's the me- the message is for real if this message is for real. If the message of the gospel is for real, it has changed everything and we can live differently. And a church that's united is the right tool to promote that message. A church that doesn't really like each other, that doesn't know one another, that's an uncomfortable place for people to come, they say, "What well, what difference does the cross make in your lives? You just like the kind of people that you like. I like the kind of people that I like. I like the people that like me. We all like to question authority together. We've fallen short. We naturally form cliques and gravitate to charismatic leaders. The gospel calls us to unity for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of Jesus' name, for the sake of his mission, to restore tears and divisions in our network of relationships so that the church can be fishers of men. Look around. Do we believe that these relationships are worth pursuing? That's the question for us. Like, where does this land? It lands right here for us. Are these the relationships that God would have us to pursue? The answer in my mind is Jesus does think that these are the relationships that we should pursue. And Jesus did pursue these relationships. Jesus pursued each one of us. That's why we would even even be sitting here. Even if you don't know Jesus yet, he wanted you to come here today to hear that you can be reconciled to God Through him, God looked on a broken and divided world and stepped in to heal the brokenness in us and our relationships to one another by giving us new hearts. He forgave so we can forgive. He made allowances for our faults so that we can show love to one another. He showed us what love is and not a feeling, but an active pursuing of the best for others, putting them first. And he made us a family of servants sent out to be his body together pushing forward so my last thought is just to ask these questions where does unity need to be pursued who is it that you need to pursue unity with specifically have you seen leaders as your functional saviors do you need to lift up your eyes to the real savior and see the leaders for who they are people saved by grace. Sometimes we trick ourselves. Are we thinking that our relationships within the church are intended to fulfill us or God's mission? And are we guilty of proclaiming good news without having the presence of that good news in our lives Father I pray that you would answer these questions for us I thank you for calling us to unity I thank you for reminding us of the importance of seeking the proper way of being united together I thank you for the reminder, Lord, to have the attitude that that is pursuing unity rather than allowing little schisms and and tears to, to occur. And Father, I pray today as as we think about your word as we respond to it, that you would lead us to the people, that you you've intentionally collected here as a family to accomplish the mission you've given us as Arambe Church. That you would unite us, Lord, as a family that you would help us to look beyond our own needs only and look to the needs of others, that you would fill this place with your spirit and the unity your spirit brings, Lord, that you would raise up people, the gifted people whom you've brought, Lord, to share their gifts so that each part is supplying what's lacking and this whole body, Lord, is building itself up in love, just as you taught us. Lord, we look forward to that, that we would be a body who's moving forward, who's maturing in Christ together. And that we are all able to contribute, Lord, according to the giftings that you give. Lord, make us the right tool for the job of the mission you've called us here to here in Renton. And to make disciples of all nations while we're serving the city. In Jesus' name, amen.